Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. My name is Andrew Callahan. Uh, if you're here last week, I also I had the opportunity to teach last week. Uh, and this week we're going to be finishing out Hebrews 11. And so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and turn there in my Bible, and I would invite you to do the same. Um, we're just going to be continuing through. The text we'll be reading tonight is popularly called uh, the Hall of Faith. So maybe you've heard of this, uh, this whole uh, sort of speech. Uh, we already covered the first three verses. Uh, but I do think that that title that we give it, Hall of Faith, can be uh, can perhaps be a little bit misleading if we aren't careful. Uh, what I want us to understand is that uh, Hebrews 11 isn't like the NFL Hall of Fame. This isn't a list praising exceptional men and women who identified as believers uh, for their amazing accomplishments. The purpose of this isn't for you uh, to do a case study on the daily habits and career choices of these men and women uh, mentioned in this chapter so that you can unlock the secrets to like a CEO lifestyle of accomplishing great things for God. Uh, It's just not what this is about. The purpose of Hebrews 11 is to display the power of God working through faith to accomplish great things in spite of unexceptional people who nonetheless became witnesses to us themselves of the preserving power of God through faith. So if you're reading through this list, maybe you have read through this this list and you're like, well, what in the the heck are some of these guys uh, doing on this? There's some people on here I wouldn't recommend you following their example in many ways aside from them having faith in God. Uh, It's because this isn't meant to praise exceptional men and women for doing great things. This is meant to display the power of God uh, working uh, through unexceptional people uh, to his glory. That's what God's grace can do for us through faith. Um, So that's kind of how I want to promise tonight. The point is that God's grace sustained these, these men and women by faith such that they could endure all things and so that they could even see God's power mightily displayed in their own day. The point is to have faith in God Uh, Not that you need to do better, so that your life will one day be as legendary as these people. Our life goal isn't to make it into a chapter like this one day uh, where we're just praised as incredible people. But before we jump straight into the text, it's important that we prime ourselves. So like last week, I'm going to remind us of the context of chapter 11. Chapter 11 isn't just plopped down in there as a quick little aside or a separate document. Uh, It's in a book. It's in a letter. Uh, And then I'll provide a quick recap of the first three verses that we covered last week so that we have a proper foundation for tonight's text. And now I would say that I do have time uh, to return to these things, which were already touched upon last week, because in tonight's text, uh, what we see seems like a lot. It's actually an entire history, uh, chronologically, of what happens in the Old Testament from Genesis clear through the end of the Old Testament um, chronology. Uh, But in fact, there's really only uh, one point that really stands out, that the, the author is really illustrating with the entire Old Testament, and that point is this, that we only endure by faith. Because only by faith are we commended by God, and such faith has a great reward. There is no other source of endurance sufficient for the life of a Christian except for a faith founded on the Word of God and pointed at Jesus. Because faith relies not on our own strength, but on the power of God. That's the point, that we only endure by faith. Uh, And so here's a little bit of a context recap uh, from last week. So uh, I've already made the point of tonight's text, so we have a little bit of time here. So to rehearse what has already been said, this 
chapter exists at this point in the book of Hebrews because the author intends to stir up his audience. And I'm going to use a potentially cheesy running, uh, cheesy running metaphor now. Uh, it could be cheesy, but I think that uh, it's justified by the text because Hebrews loves running metaphors. Uh, so I want you to imagine with me uh, that you're running your first marathon. Some of you are like, Ick, I'm never going to run a marathon. But just imagine with me that you're running your, a marathon, and this is the first time you've ever run a marathon. You're at mile 15 of 26. Come a long way, but you still have quite a long way to go. Uh, let's imagine you started off really strong. You were maybe even really excited, felt really great getting off the finish line. But now uh, you're just over halfway through and you're slowing up. Your body is tired. You're battling in your mind just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you're no longer sure if you can or even if you want to finish this race. You're just thinking like all the justifications, like should I stop? Can I keep going? Uh, what is the point? Is the reward that, what, what, is this even worth what I'm doing? And chapter 11 of Hebrews is like a friend who signed up for this race with you. You ran the first 10 or so miles of this race together, uh, but as you began to slow up, they kept their pace. So you're at mile 15. Uh, you've assumed this friend just kept chugging along, and they're probably several miles ahead of you by now. But as you approach the next water station, to your surprise, you look up and see the friend waiting there, looking at you and just cheering you on. And as you catch up to them, you're, you're surprised, but they, jo- they join in right alongside of you and run at your pace, and they are encouraging you to finish that race. The friend noticed you slow up. They were worried you wouldn't finish. And so what did the friend do? They waited so that they can encourage you to keep pushing for the reward and to endure for a little while longer so that you could finish together. That's what chapter 11 does for us tonight. The Hebrew people uh, that this letter is addressed to, they started really strong in their faith. Uh, Read chapter 10, starting in verse 32 with me. It says this, uh, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, it means that after they had received the gospel and they saw that all things were held together in Christ, what did they do? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Started off really strong. It's a really uh, strong way to start the race. But evidently, Uh, Likely because of the way the audience began to live, they weren't living as though there was a better abiding possession for which they were striving. The author of Hebrews, with a pastoral heart, is concerned that they've lost sight of the better and abiding possession that has been promised by Jesus. He thinks they're at risk at throwing away their confidence in God and his promises, which is their faith, and and he's worried that they're going to quit the race before Jesus returns to make good on his promises for those who are waiting. So we need uh, this word from God in our lives tonight. For those of us who are tired, for those of us who may have begun strong, maybe we're losing sight of Jesus. For those of us who have need of endurance, we have chapter 11, not as a do better and look like these guys, but as a grace from God to our weary souls to remind us once more of the joy that is set before us, why we started the race to begin with. It's not a motivational speech to convince us that we're awesome or that we need to do some sort of 12-step program to unlock our inner prophet Elijah Uh, Hebrews 11 is an encouragement and a testament of the great reward which faith has and of the sustaining grace of God, which has brought so many before us to endure great, great sufferings and trials to enter into great, great joy. And his grace can do the same for us tonight. So now I'm going to do just a little bit of a lightning recap uh, of the first three verses of Hebrews uh, before we can jump into this uh, long 
section that we're going to be going through tonight. Uh, the author has said that, that we need to endure, uh, that we will only endure by faith, rather than leaving us with a vague nation of, notion of faith, though these first three verses tell us exactly uh, by what sort of faith we will endure. So just look with me once more at the first three verses. Here's what verse 1 says. Here's what faith is. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you'll recall last week, if you were here, uh, we noticed that the object of faith, what is the object of faith? It is God, that he exists, that seeking him will be rewarded, and that the many things which he has promised to us in Jesus both are true and will be true. Specifically, that our sins have been atoned for and forgiven, and that Jesus' righteousness will be a credit to us when we stand before God, that we are his, the children, uh, children of God, and that we will be received as such by him when we inherit the glorious life that Jesus prepared for us in himself when he defeated death in his body and rose again to an indestructible life by the power of God. It's true. That there remains a day of rest. This is what Hebrews tells us, that we will enter into eternally, in which we will rest from all suffering, all sin, all sorrow, all weariness. Why? Because Jesus' works were finished once and for all when he had perfectly done his Father's will, even unto death on a cross. And having completed these works, unlike the high priests that they've had before, he sat down at the right hand of God. No more work to be done. It is completed. He and these promises that we have in Jesus are the object of our faith. It's not simply an affirmation of a particular set of truths. It is a, it is a belief that, there is, that God exists and that these promises are true for us. Ne the next thing we notice in verse 1 is the nature of our faith. It's unseen. Uh, anytime we are speaking of needing faith or having hope, we speak of something which we cannot see but which we eagerly anticipate because God has said so and he is faithful. We're not talking about some sort of evidential approach to believing some sort of rational thing, uh, although it is certainly rational and there is lots of evidence. We're talking about faith. We're talking about things which are not seen, but which we have on good word, uh, and God is faithful. Uh, next, getting into sort of the specific language, we saw that faith is the assurance. Some, some um, translations say that faith is the substance or that faith is the reality of things hoped for. The sort of faith by which we will endure is so deeply assured of the things hoped for that we can count them as having already happened. The scriptures say we have been crucified with Christ. Our life is in Christ at the right hand of God. How does this look lived out? Is that we, we spend the only lives we see in the glorious hope of obtaining an indestructible life, which we do not see when Christ appears for us. So deeply assured, we will suffer all things, all losses, because of the deep riches that we do and will possess in Jesus our Lord. When the Hebrews were first enlightened, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their possessions, not because they were foolish people who didn't care about possessions, but because they were so deeply assured that they had a better and abiding possession in Jesus. They didn't care. And then next we see the conviction. Other translations say faith is the, the conviction of, of things not seen or the evidence or the proof of things not seen. The sort of faith by which we will endure is so deeply convicted of the things unseen, that we begin to endure as though we did see them. In this faith, our minds and hearts are transformed by the Spirit of God as a proof to us and as tastes and as first fruits of what will be in the age to come. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says this, For by it, faith, the people of old, people, everyone in the Old Testament that we read about tonight, received their commendation, People of old, 
priming us well for our passage tonight, we see in this verse the point which the rest of the chapter is meant to illustrate, and that is that faith has a great reward, namely being commended by God so that we can enter into life with him. If we have no confidence that we are commended by God, then we, we are, have no reason to suspect that we won't be condemned. We have every reason, as a matter of fact, to suspect we will be condemned. By what means are we to be reconciled to a holy God? By what means are we to, to have our sins atoned for? Only by faith. That is what everyone in the Old Testament uh, was commended for, not some sort of great acts, not some sort of adherence to the moral law or from the law of Moses. They were rewarded or commended by faith, and that is still true uh, for us today. It's got a great reward. There is no way to be commended by God other than faith. Um, we see this more plainly stated eventually in 11 verse 6. Um, and it's also, as I've already stated, this is important for our Old Testament theology. Uh, we, sometimes we read the Old Testament, we think, oh, okay, people in the Old Testament were saved by works of the law. People now, post-New Testament, were saved by faith. It's not true. We see plainly illustrated in Hebrews 11 that there was not a single person commended by God uh, that was not commended for their faith, not for any sort of acts of righteousness, but for their faith in God and in the things unseen that he had promised them. Uh, let's move on to verse 3. It says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Manuscript skipped that for some reason. The first thing which anyone comes to understand by biblical faith is that God exists plain statement. We understand by faith that God exists. And there's two reasons we can understand this. We understand this because of the special revelation of God. It's his word. It's what he has spoken to us. He has told us specifically who he is in his word and specifically in Jesus. Special revelation. And we know it from the natural revelation of God. It's the magnificence of the created world, the intricacies of what we can see. This is a testament to us, according to Romans 1, that God exists. Uh, and he has been revealed to us in this way. And this particular point, that God made all things, is also a very important prelude and primer to this by faith speech that we see in chapter 11, because uh, it makes sense of all the wonders that we see in the Old Testament. The fact that, consider this with me for a moment, the fact that God has created all things, including matter itself, teaches us that God is sovereign over all things as creator and I love what one commentator said. He said that we should expect, this is the, one of the things we learn on the first page of Scripture, we should expect the constant presence and work of the Creator in history and in our lives. If you're like me, sometimes you're reading the Old Testament maybe, uh, and you see all these great deeds that God, it says that God did. Uh, did he really flood the whole earth? These things can be hard to believe. Did he really, how in the world could somebody have been in the belly of a big fish and lived <laughs> for three days? You're, you're trying to think, uh, materialistically about this. How is this possible? We search for these reasons and a natural understanding of something which is actually meant to be understood by faith, and it's, it's not irrational. He who spoke hydrogen and oxygen into existence can certainly cause water to flood the whole earth or sustain a person in the belly of a fish or do anything else easily reported in the Bible. It is far harder to speak matter into existence than to manipulate it according to God's own will. We just do not expect God's constant presence and work in our lives and in history because we do not always seek to understand by faith. Uh, it's a hard truth I wrestle with sometimes. I'm like, I'm starting down to these things, and I'm like, I reflect on this, what we see here in Hebrews 11, that we understand by faith that God created all things. What's so surprising that he should be at work in what is happening right now? What's so surprising uh, that he should interfere 
in our lives right now in a way that isn't rationally um, understood by what the laws that we think have been established. Uh, God can and does interfere in our lives, and Scripture teaches this. Uh, and now I think we're well-primed. We're well-primed uh, for the hall of faith. Um, one thing I want to point out that I think is kind of amazing is that the, the English word faith, uh, not the concept, but the word translated faith, does not appear uh, in, in any, I don't believe, of these original uh, narratives. And that teaches us something I think that's really cool, is that the Holy Spirit reveals to us through this passage the true and authoritative meaning of the Old Testament accounts. If you ever want to know what does this Old Testament story mean, one great way to interpret it, figure out what it means, is to see if the New Testament has anything to say about it. That's God's word interpreting God's word. Uh, has Jesus quoted the Old Testament? Uh, in what places has he quoted? Has Paul or anyone else in the New Testament spoken of a, such a story? Uh, and when we see that, we see the authoritative way to understand it. And so here, uh, we see that God has revealed to us the true lens through which we should read all the Old Testament today, and that is faith. And so here's what's going to happen next. Uh, rather than doing a careful verse-by-verse breakdown of this text with, with constant reference back to the Old Testament, uh, reading the original stories, we're going to get, I hope, caught up and carried away with the, the momentum of this chapter, taking only brief pauses as we go um, expositionally. So uh, I think that the, the intention the author has for this text is that uh, it is supposed to spur us on. It's supposed to encourage us to run the race. Uh, and I, I don't think that it would serve us well. One, we don't have four hours. I can't sit here up for four hours and, and break down every story referenced here from the Old Testament. But I also don't think that will be helpful, and I don't think that's in the spirit um, of what we're reading here tonight. Uh, so here's what I love for you uh, tonight. That if you, uh, the original audience, they, they probably understood in, oh, all of these references. They were a Jewish audience that he was writing to, I believe. And uh, they, were ve- they should have been or were very familiar with most of these stories. And I, I'm sure that most of you are probably somewhat familiar with most of these stories as well. Uh, but here's what I want. That if you hear a story reference that you've never heard or that you find a little bit confusing in this context, go downstairs afterwards and, a- and ask a friend about it. Uh, or go home uh, and Google where you can read it in the Old Testament and read it. Uh, but I would prefer you ask a friend so that you guys can be encouraged together as you look together at God's word. So here we go. I'm going to offer a brief prayer uh, before we dive in that God would stir us with his words to endure by faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then we're just going to blitz this with our eyes on the word and longing. I want this for us tonight to long for the joy and hope uh, that we will be reminded of the joy and hope which we need to endure all things. So pray with me briefly before we move through this. Lord, we need your spirit to speak to us, Lord. So I pray that you would um, clear the deceitfulness of sin, that we might hear you tonight. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to remember the joy that is set before us, the joy which Christ himself uh, endured all things through, Lord, that he was obedient unto death. God, we want to endure. Uh, Lord, we need your grace to understand these things, Lord. So please uh, let this text do its work on us. We love you. All right. Uh, let's go. So uh, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, go ahead and just look at the screen. I just want you kind of laser focused on this text tonight. So uh, let's start in verse 4. Again, I'll be offering uh, brief expositional pauses, but we'll just be going. By faith, Abel. That's where it starts. Abel is one of the first people we see in the Old Testament right after Adam and Eve. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than, than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
First, one of the te- first testimonies of Scripture that still speaks today is that we are accepted before God, not because of what we can do, but because of our faith. It wasn't because Cain, uh, Abel had a superior sacrifice, but it was because he approached God by faith, and he was commended for it, and that was his reward. Verse 5, by faith Enoch, this is a really funny story, was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Uh, this is an Old Testament thing called translating. And so what happens in this context is that there was this man named Enoch, and he had faith in God, uh, evidently such faith that God didn't want him to even live to see death. And so he took him, and he was no more on the earth. We don't see that often. Verse 6, and without faith, this is a proof for what is just that, that it was by faith that this happened. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It wasn't that Enoch did something cool. It was that he had faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, moving into the... uh, the patriarch period. If you were clarifying the Bible, we see these movements throughout the Old Testament. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's why we see that faith is not by sight. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. How? As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. I'm going to take a brief pause here. Abraham did not begin constructing a solid dwelling in the land of Canaan uh, that his children were to receive as an inheritance. What does it say? It says instead that he lived in a temporary dwelling, a tent. What's what's the significance? Abraham was camping. Uh, What does this tell us? In so doing, he has proved where his treasure is. It's not even in, in the land of Canaan that his children were to possess, but that his treasure, what he longed for, was the city that has foundations to his designer and builder is God. The city is no tent that it should be taken down or perish. It has foundations. That is, it is imperishable. The author here indicates that Abraham's life is a testament of the surpassing worth of the new heavens and the new earth, which we now know will be inaugurated when Christ comes again. His heart was set on the city of surpassing worth, and so he endured a life intense, how, as a stranger in exile, lived a whole life that way after having been called by God. And for this faith, he was commended by God. And by this faith, he endured as though he saw this city, though he literally did not, because he was looking forward to the reward. And we're going to get to more of this uh, shortly, but let's continue. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him, why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and I love this little phrase, and him as good as dead, it's how old he was, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here we see a little bit of a break in the by faith formula. It stops for a minute and says these all died in faith. By faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, Abraham and his children not only lived, but they died in that faith. 
uh, enduring all things and acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on earth, waiting and looking forward to the heavenly country. Uh, they endured until the end in the full assurance and conviction of faith, even though they did not die in possession of the promises. And this is what we can learn from that. This is the only sort of faith and hope that we can endure to the point of dying in. Not merely faith which affirms a set of truths, but a faith, a faith which is deeply assured and deeply convicted to the point of treasuring the things hoped for above all else. What could enable a person to give up what, what the only life that we see? This is the only one I have proof that I'll ever have. But on the word of God, I know that there's an indestructible life with an imperishable city. And I'll bank this one on that one any day. That's what faith says. And these did not die in vain or foolishly. Some look at that. It's like, why would you waste this life uh, for the next? Uh, some people would say that. They would call this foolish. Uh, but it's not foolish, for God is faithful. And their faith didn't lie in a falsehood. It didn't rely on human strength. It, it relied on the power of God, the same God who created the earth. And it won't be any more difficult for him to create the new earth which he has promised us. He created the earth we see. How much it'll be as easy for him to speak the new earth which he has promised. In the famous words of the martyr missionary James Elliot, excuse me, Jim Elliot, I don't want to say James, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is not a foolish faith. It is one rooted deeply in reality, but so, so far that it is deeply assured of things unseen uh, and deeply convicted also of things unseen. Uh, let's continue through verse 14. For people who speak thus, saying that they are strangers and exiles on earth, uh, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Which homeland? If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Author says, you know, they're not talking about Ur, where God called them out of to Canaan. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed when the Old Testament all time and time again says the God, which God? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, because these all died in faith, not a vain faith, but a faith which would come to fruition. When God said, I am preparing you a city, he meant it, and he is, and he has prepared a city. And so when they say, we are, you know, that's our God, he is not ashamed because their lives are spent for him and their lives were not spent in vain. He is he is not ashamed. Earlier in Hebrews, it says that uh, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers uh, because we are. We are his brothers. We are his sisters by the faith that we share in Christ. Uh, these things are true. He's not ashamed uh, to be called our God because he won't be embarrassed uh, when we die. Uh, he won't be embarrassed because we are waiting for the city which has foundations. Let's continue. 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, which son, the same son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Small note, he's still a boy, right? Like God said, you're going to have children through Isaac. Now I want you to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. What in the world? Next verse. Uh, Abraham considered, verse 19, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The faith that Abraham had in the promises of God was so deeply assured, so deeply convicted of the things not seen, uh, that he didn't have to make sense of it. Like he, I mean, he tried, perhaps, to make sense of it. Like, I know by the word of God that, my, that Isaac will have children. He is a boy. He has no children. God wants me to offer him up. 
God's going to raise him from the dead. There will be no set of natural consequences uh, from what God has called that will stunt God or stump God from continuing what he has promised. And so a person such as Abraham can be so deeply assured in faith uh, that nothing God asks will be unreasonable. Uh, that is the sort of faith uh, which the author of Hebrews want, uh, is commending these people to have. He was in the act. In his heart, it was as good as done, uh, such that he figuratively did receive him back from the dead because in, in his heart, he had, he had, he had already uh, obeyed God. Let's continue. Um, verse 20. By faith, Isaac, that's the son of Abraham, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By Joseph, uh, excuse me, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. That's the end of the patriarchal period, entering into the exodus period. Uh, that's just a small little detail that's really amazing that he picks up on here uh, from exodus, that uh, excuse me, Genesis, like Joseph was in Egypt, but he knew the promises that were given to his fathers, that God was going to give them a land to possess, and it was not in Egypt. Uh, and so he was dying in Egypt. And so what did he do? He told uh, his family, when you guys go, not if you guys end up making it out of here, but when you guys go, as my God has said, bring my bones. I want to be buried in the land that God has promised. That's the sort of faith. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. This is an interesting detail. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, evidently, Moses's, Moses was such a just darn good-looking baby. Uh, this is a detail recorded in Exodus, and it's repeated here. It's repeated in Acts. that suppose, I, I suppose his parents perceived that this was a sign of hope from God, that he had plans for their deliverance, uh, as he had promised, and that he would protect the baby Moses. Thus, they did not fear the king's edict that all male children born of the Israelite slaves should be put to death. Faith, in the, not because they were foolish people who didn't fear power, but because faith in the surpassing power of God to that of the king gave them courage. This is a substantive faith. Only real faith can give real courage, not some sort of foolish courage, to put away fear and to endure the trials of hiding the baby and potentially the threat of being put to death for preserving the boy. Uh, let's continue in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, deliberately choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth, catch that, the reproach greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. Moses' faith in God, in his plans for his chosen people, gave him the courage to deliberately choose to be mistreated. And he considered it sin for himself to continue to enjoy the comforts of royalty while perfectly aware of the plight of God's people. And being deeply assured of the reward that God has for his people, he was empowered by the grace of God to look not to the things which are fleeting, comforts, security, the wealth, the protection of royal power, but to the things which are eternal. Thus, he endured mistreatment right alongside of his brothers by faith. It wasn't because he just wanted to go get mistreated. It was because he was, that was wealth to him, that he should bear the suffering of Christ such that he would one day uh, receive the greater treasures. Uh, and consider also, Moses didn't even know Christ as we do. And yet it says he considers the reproach of Christ 
as wealth and thus endured. We see in the Old Testament that the people of God had the dimmest, most vague shadow of Christ. And yet by faith in this faint shadow, Moses endured great trials, probably greater trials than any of us will face. And you and I have the full substance of Christ revealed in the gospel. We see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature, the glory of God, God incarnate. How much more so ought we to have courage to run the race with endurance? We actually can look to Christ and look to him who we know to be seated at the right hand of God, not merely a shadow of him, and we have access to him by the Spirit, and we see the reward with so much more clarity. How much more so ought we to have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? He endured seeing even a faint shadow of the promises of God. We have the full substance of Christ revealed to us in the gospel. Let's continue through the book. Let's see. I believe 30, um, excuse me. Uh, By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. He took a note from his parents. He wasn't afraid of a king's edict uh, or the, the wrath of the king because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Such was the faith of Moses that it was as though he saw him, even though things were unseen. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people... Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had given a a friendly welcome to the spies. She had heard of the accounts of this God, that this is the God who parted the sea, his people are coming, and I've heard the promises that he has given to his people, and I believe them. So I'm not going to stand in your way when you're coming into this city. Uh, I only ask that you spare me. Even Rahab, unlike some of the spies who had spied out the land earlier, had faith in the promises of God such that she uh, was willing to give the, the spies a friendly welcome. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, that's the judges, of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be perfect. Consider what the figures of the Old Testament, those who saw but a shadow of Christ in the books of Moses and through the prophets, Consider what they endured by faith, sawn in two. Which one of us has ever been sawn in two for the faith? Like, we'll release you. I don't want to be released. I want to suffer because I am looking forward to the better, more abiding uh, possession. 
these died without ever having come to see Jesus or hear of the kingdom that he came proclaiming, though they longed deeply to see a clearer glimpse of the shadow they saw. Listen to what Jesus said of these people in Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. But blessed, he's speaking to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people, talking about these people, longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. As Abraham, they lived and died in faith, and even though they never got to look as clearly into the face of Christ as we do in the gospel, and yet they endured such intense trials and sufferings by faith, the same faith we have in God and in his reward, that God's word says that the world was not worthy of them, and he is not ashamed for this to be called their God. Consider Jesus. It is testified of him in the word that we have that this Jesus is God. He is one with him who created all that is seen, all matter. This Jesus came to us in the flesh, revealing God to us, offering forgiveness of sins, proclaiming a coming kingdom where the forgiven will become heirs with him and of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob of an eternal, indestructible life. So deeply assured and so deeply convicted was Jesus' faith in the Father that he endured whipping, flogging, mocking, and even crucifixion, knowing that the Father had determined for this to happen so that Jesus could be given as a sacrifice for sin that many of us might be called his brothers and sisters by faith. Consider these things tonight. Like, by what, faith, by what are we to endure? Why should we endure? There is a great reward, and God's sustaining grace can, has, and will sustain us. If, if, the sort of fa- if they had faith in even the faintest shadow such that they can endure what we have just read about, then surely we who have seen the face of Christ in the gospel uh, can endure as much and perhaps much more uh, in light of the fuller picture. Consider the glories and the reward of faith. Perhaps most of us uh, aren't enduring or perhaps we've never accepted Christ because we just haven't even thought about it. <laughs> we got an e-contest on, on Wednesday. Why would I be thinking about the eternal reward? Uh, and so I, I joke about that, but that's how we think. Like we are, we're not even thinking about it. We will, uh, will we, excuse me, will we, who have the full substance of Christ made visible in the gospel and can hear of such glories tonight, shrink back when trials and suffering come and forsake our confidence in God. For those of us who do not confess Jesus with our mouths, with our hearts, will you neglect so great a salvation as this? Will we be lulled by the deceitfulness of sin? Will we fix our eyes on fleeting pleasures, which are here for a moment and then vanish and forsake the kingdom of God by abandoning or neglecting to have confidence in God and to believe his testimony that he has shown us concerning Jesus? How much more so ought we, to whom God has provided something better, that's what it's talking about there at the end, verses 38, excuse me, 39, and 40, they were commended for the sake they didn't receive what was promised. Why? Because God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, it's talking about anybody who receives Christ, the full substance by faith, that we are being made perfect together even with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he had prepared the full revelation for us. Consider these things. And how much more so ought we, to whom God is providing something better, the advantage of the gospel, the advantage of the Holy Spirit living in us as a guarantee and sealing us for the coming day, How much more so ought we to endure through faith with patience as we wait a little while longer for Jesus to come and save those of us who are eagerly waiting? I love what one commentator puts it. He says, as our 
advantages with the better things God has provided for us are so much better than theirs, so should our obedience of faith, patience of hope, and labor of love be greater. And unless we get true faith as these believers had, they will rise up to condemn us at the last day. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band uh, to return. So what then? Uh, What are we going to do with Hebrews 11 and with all this talk of faith and reward? It's plain that none of this is of any advantage uh, to any of us if we do not hear and believe in faith, repenting and returning from our sins to serve the living God through Jesus. Even those who, who have received Jesus, we are to live lives of repentance. We are to repent of growing uh, weary from the deceitfulness of sin. But if you will hear and endure in faith, then this is of every advantage. While it is still called today, while you still have the opportunity to respond to the words of the Holy Spirit who bears witness tonight in his word, the promises still stand to be obtained. Consider, that's what this chapter exists for, to consider all who have gone before us and who endured through great suffering, living and even dying in faith, and more importantly, consider Jesus, in whom all of God's promises are fulfilled, and let us endure by faith. Yet a little while. I love the text from the Old Testament. He quotes in chapter 10 there at the end. It says, yet a little while, and the coming one, that's the shadow they have, the coming one. We know his name is Jesus. The coming one will come and will not delay. Just a little while. That's what the scriptures say. It doesn't feel like that, but that's what we have. Consider them. Consider who have gone before us. They lived and died, and let us endure it by faith. He will save those who are eagerly waiting. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for your mercy. God, we do not deserve to stand uh, here tonight, to sit here tonight and to hear you speak to us in your word. God, we do not deserve your mercy, your grace. God, you didn't have to reveal us, yourself to us. You could have left us stumbling around in darkness, but God, you sent your son. Thank you, God, that Christ has revealed you to us. Thank you, God, that he has proclaimed a kingdom which will not be shaken, that we will become heirs with him. Lord, we don't deserve that. Thank you, God, that we can become your children have our sins forgiven, atoned for, God, and that even now we can live in the life you have purchased for us with your own blood. God, I, as we worship tonight, as we have been worshiping, as we continue to worship, Lord, let us offer um, acceptable worship to you, God, from a true heart that comes through faith. God, we know that we will be, we will be commended to you by no means except for faith. So, God, I pray by your grace that each of us, there will be not a person here in our midst that would not have the gift of such a faith as this, God. Uh, We are sustained by your power, God, and your power alone, and we trust that you will fulfill every word, every dot of your word. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.